it's time to dream again about what the church could be. This vision is intended to come from Christ himself. So what does he want from his church and how do we reclaim it? Join us as we journey through the New Testament to discover how the ancient paths inform the future church. Well, we're so glad you are here with us this morning. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend and just excited to have each and every one of you here with us today as we continue our teaching series called Future Church. And all throughout this series, I've been reminded of a movie, a movie that you may or may not be familiar with. It's the movie called Back to the Future. Anybody know Back to the Future? Anybody familiar with this movie? And maybe if you're young of a certain age, uh, younger, you may have no clue about the brilliance of Back to the Future. And I want to apologize on your behalf um, and say sorry that you don't know about the brilliance of this. It's a really, really good movie. But essentially, and I'll give you the summary without giving the whole movie away, essentially the character played by Michael J. Fox is trying to go back in time. And as he's trying to go back in time, he's addressing all kinds of things that come up there. And he's able to do it through a really cool car called the, do you know what the car was? Can you help me? The DeLorean. Oh, the DeLorean. Oh, so cool. So cool. If you ever want to hear a a bittersweet story about the DeLorean, just go to Netflix. They have a whole special about it. Incredible. Anyways, I won't get sidetracked here, but the DeLorean allows them to go back in time. So we've been actually going back in time in a lot of ways, looking through the ancient paths of the New Testament to understand God's vision for his church. But then in Back to the Future Part 2, the second Back to the Future, we find that Marty McFly goes to the future, right? So before he was going to the past, this time in this this movie, he's going to the future. And what we're going to do in the remainder parts of this teaching series is we are going to be looking back, and in a lot of ways, when you look at the, the New Testament, we're going to get this vision for what it is that God has for his church. But here's the twist. We're going to actually look at what the church is going to look like in the future. So after this life's over, after our time here is over, we get to see, and we get to see from the book of Revelation, a vision of what's to come. And what we're going to be answering through these next couple of weeks here is, what does the future church look like? And so we're going to be looking at Revelation 7, Revelation 12, Revelation 21 over these next three weeks. And here's the sad thing about Revelation. Oftentimes, when someone starts to talk about Revelation, usually people are wondering, are they going to predict when the world's going to end? And Jesus is going to come back, right? And and oftentimes we get caught up in in the timeline and we get caught up in, in what all these symbols mean, the significance of them. And there's a part of that which I understand and I can see the value of that. But I think often what happens is we get distracted from what the revelation was really about that John received. It really was about who this Jesus is and what he has for his people to be about, and what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever with him, and what that means for us, not just tomorrow, but today. You know, it's often like when we think about tomorrow, and we think about something in the future that we can miss today, but what I really want us to do is to understand how understanding and looking at tomorrow will influence and impact how we view today. It's like when you get ready for a wedding. And when you get ready for a wedding, I officiate weddings, there's a day before the wedding that's called the rehearsal and rehearsal dinner. And really, the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner 
is a chance for the bride and the groom and their wedding party to go through all that's going to be happening that day. Recently, I did one, and we started with how it's going to end and then worked our way backwards and then came back as it's going to begin. And in other words, we started with the end in mind, and it helped us to fully understand what's going to take place during the actual ceremony. And so as we were getting ready for that day, everybody felt confident. They were able to understand, hey, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow, you know, the next day on the wedding day. In a lot of ways for us, the life that we're called to, and even as we look at the future and we hear what John's going to reveal as God has revealed it to him, as we're going to look at that, it really is very similar to this dress rehearsal. It is very similar to a preview of our lives in a, in that we're going to fully realize in the coming kingdom when Jesus fully returns and makes all things new. And so we're living in light of that. We're living in light of that. We're not trying to escape this world. We're not trying to uh, just pretend as if God doesn't have something for us today. Rather, the tomorrow, the future, is impacting how we view our lives today, how we as a church look at the vision that God has for us today. And so again, we're going to be answering that question, what does the future church look like? And John records what he saw. And John is one of the disciples of Jesus. He's also the author of the Gospel of John. And we see him also writing 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And so there's this revelation that he receives. And as he receives his, this revelation from God, this is his best attempt to capture and to record what he saw. Again, you've got to recognize that even as John's doing this, he's trying to help us understand what it is that he's seen. And it's pretty incredible what he saw. So if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to open up with me to Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 9 here. And this is what it says. It says, after this, I looked And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. In other words, there's a lot of people, a lot of people. No one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. I want us to read this. Out, out loud on three. One, two, three. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And as you hear what's said in this moment, what John saw and was recording here, he says, there's this great multitude that no one could count. No one could count. And as you look at what he says and what he records and what he communicates about what it is they were doing, they were declaring They were declaring the worthiness of the Lamb of God who was slain, who takes away the sins of the world. John himself recorded John the Baptist saying that in John 3, when he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if we can go back to that verse for just a moment and hear what again they're saying, they're saying again, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're saying, we recognize who's the one who saved us. We recognize the one who allows us 
as it says here in this, this passage, these white robes which indicate this righteousness that they had received because of Jesus' perfect and finished work on their behalf. His life, death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, his return, all these things are pictures of what it is he has done for us and provided for us. And how he is the bondage breaker in our lives. How he has come to set us free. And how we get to join him on the mission, not only what that he wants to do in our lives, but the mission of what he wants to do in the world. And we get to join declaring just the sure brilliance and goodness of Jesus. We need to behold it and then hold it out to others. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's beautiful. But one of the things that we can't help but see is that there's so many people here that the future looks, future church looks like every people, tribe, tongue, and nation telling Jesus he is the Savior who brings salvation. In other words, there are people that don't look like me that are going to be there. There are people who don't agree with everything that I say or how I see the world. We don't see eye to eye. And yet, we get a picture of what it's perfectly going to look like when it's all said and done. And wouldn't it be a beautiful picture for us to present to the watching world an image of what's going to be? Where we're going to come around the throne. And as we come around the throne, we're going to look different. We're going to come from different tribes and different nations and, and different tongues and different people. And yet, despite how we look differently, we have this in common. Jesus is the one who brought salvation to our lives. Jesus is the one that we are beholding and holding out. Jesus is above my own personal ideology or perspective of you or what you want to do. He has leadership over it all. And there's something beautiful about even what we have here at Riverbend because we get a, a small picture of it and then it, it really ripples out even beyond here. But I love that in this church, we've got somebody that owns a plumbing company that does a great job, Jack Nonamaker. He's come to our rescue several times. We've got a, a, a Dr. Demick who owns his own oral surgeon practice. He's come to my rescue several times as well. We've got a, a guy who owns a Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A Whitehall, my, my identical twin brother, John. He's come to my rescue several times as well. And it was his pleasure, right? <laughs> and that's just one piece of it. Then we've got people from different educational backgrounds here. People who didn't, get, didn't graduate high school, people that got their GED, people that did graduate high school and started working in the workforce, people who went the trade route, people who furthered their education. It's beautiful. We got people of different political persuasions here at Riverbend. We got people who see the world differently. And what is beautiful about the coming age is despite our differences, we lift up that which we have more in common, which is Jesus. And we get to be a picture of that now because you know what the world needs desperately right now is not peacekeepers. They have a lot of that. They need peacemakers. People who are willing to sit across the table from those who I don't see eye to eye with, but I value you and I value what God has put in you. I value what it is you have to share, even if I don't agree. And I can love you and accept you and celebrate you 
even if I don't agree with you wholesale. And we've missed that ability to love people for who they are. And even when we don't agree with them wholesale, first of all, that doesn't mean we don't love them or care for them. And or, and or on the other side of that, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that they're lesser. But oftentimes in our culture, we, we can't figure out this way of life that Jesus is calling us to. And that's why the church, we need to live in light of our future. We have a future glory that's going to require, and not only require, but is going to be people that don't look like you, think like you, always agree with you on everything. They're going to be around that throne. And it's beautiful to think about. And so as you consider that, as you think about that in your own life, who are the people that you could start now with? Worshiping Jesus with who don't look like you, think like you, have the same background or experiences as you. Who are those people? Who are those people? Because you know what? A great way to prepare for our future is to start today. Recently, I got to connect with one of my closest friends from high school. His name's Emilio Rivas. Emilio Rivas is from Guatemala. And Emilio and his wife, Evelyn, are really good friends to John and I, but over the last several years, as you look at our own story and our own life, one of the things that we have really valued and appreciated from Emilio is the fact that Emilio came from Guatemala. So when he came from Guatemala, he started to learn the system and understand how things work. But then Emilio, he was like the third musketeer for John and I, and we got a lot of trouble together. Uh, with Emilio. Like he was a couple years older than us, so he used to pick us up from school as we would check ourselves out, um, pretending to be my dad, who was not part of our life at that point in time, using the payphone, calling the counselor's office. And uh, again, not a proud moment, but again, we were able to get out of it. But we have these memories like this. And we were just talking to him recently, and one of the things that struck me in our conversation is how Emilio has been really an instrument to remind us of our background, because my dad is from El Salvador. But at that point in time, I didn't have a lot of people in my life. None of my family, in fact, from that side was a part of our story. And so how God used Emilio to help me tap into, tap into that side of our story and our journey. Recently, we got to, to thank him for that. And, and then his wife was telling John, my, my twin brother, she was like, you know, I want to thank you and your brother, Joseph, because you planted seeds of faith in Emilio because John and I became followers of Christ after high school. And we started to witness to Emilio, sharing, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for us. And then Emilio, you know, would consider it, but he wasn't ready then. He wasn't ready to put his faith in Christ. And now, as I'm talking to Emilio, you hear this passion for Jesus, his local church, And his wife is thanking us for the investment that we made. And then it goes a step further because Amelia wanted to meet with John and I, and we wanted to talk together about what does it look like, what does it look like for us to come alongside him as he's trying to serve the Hispanic community who often falls through the cracks when it comes to education. And this guy's a teacher, man, he's brilliant. And he talks about his own story, about how he didn't have people to show him the way through working not only the the school system to navigate it, but then to move to college. He said, it took me longer than it should have to graduate college because no one was there to walk me through it. 
And now I want to help these younger, younger students, these elementary age students, because if they can learn to read before they turn or go into the third grade, they have a more likelihood to succeed. And all that's influenced by the kingdom of Jesus. All that's influenced by who Christ has done. But it's beautiful. And here's a picture of Emilio right here. Here's, here's my guy, uh, Emilio Rivas, third, third uh, musketeer there, the third amigo uh, for John and I, his, his bride, Evelyn. But I'm reminded as we were talking and as we were praying together on a Zoom call recently with him, I'm reminded as this, of this passage that I just read. I'm reminded of what's going to be like to come around the throne. So here's, here's a question for you to think about. Who is different than you that you could declare as one, Jesus, you are the Savior who brings salvation? Who, who's that one person, couple people that you could intentionally get with who doesn't see the world exactly like you see it, who doesn't look like you, doesn't have the same background as you, isn't in the same socioeconomic place as you are. Who are those people? Who are those people? Because as we start to model this way, as we start to show this way, it's what Jesus reminds us again and again when you read through his prayer in John 17. He says, hey, listen, the world's going to know that I'm for real, not by what you teach, not by the services you attend, but by your ability to be one. You're one. And, and one isn't the same thing as uh, really uniformity. It's this unity that's around who Christ is and what he's done. And that's so important. And I think about what we could do here locally. What if we started to live in light of that with one another? And then those in our local community as well. What if we started to live out what we see here in this passage today? How would that impact how would that impact those around us? How would that impact us? How could we learn from one another? Because you have so much that I don't know in my own life and experience and vice versa. And those even, not even within these walls of, of our location here this morning, there's so much we can learn from one another. But we've got to be willing, willing to, to go near and to draw close to them. Well, the passage continues on here as we're in Revelation 7. Listen to what he says. It says, all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, and I want to invite you to say this with me out loud on three. One, two, three. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And I want you to get this picture. Think about how powerful the people were, the, these beings were, that were saying this about Jesus. It says here, angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down and their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. These are powerful beings. These are powerful people. These are people who have great power and authority. And yet, in the midst of their great power, they say, hey, we recognize one who's even more powerful. We're willing to bow down. And not only willing to bow down, we want to bow down. Because we know, as Philippians 2 says, that every knee's going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. And we have an option to join him today and start to say, 
you are all these things. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And amen. And there's something powerful when we bow down. There's something powerful about doing that. Recently, I've, I've been doing this monthly prayer meeting with some, some area leaders, pastors, and we do it once a month. Matt Kay's part of it. And one of the things Matt Kay leads us through is he helps to really give us a passage, and then we, we pray through this passage. And, but one of the things he asks of us is to, if we're able, to bow down, to bow down, to kneel down, and to kneel down as we pray. And as you think about that, there's something about kneeling down like this, right? There's something about me choosing to do this. And what it signifies is a humbling of my position and posture. And again, this is when the body and the spirit work together. Now, I know some of you are not able to bend down for a variety of different reasons. But the idea here is the posture of the heart. Man, are we willing to get low because of the one who got low for us and now is high above all things? Are we willing to surrender and submit ourselves, not because we have to, because we get to? We get to say, we see you, Jesus, for who you are. Because there's going to be a whole lot of this in the future church. But we get to do it today, which is beautiful to think about. We get to join him in what he's doing today. So as you think about that, as you think about that, I want you to go ahead and kneel down. No, I'm just kidding. I was thinking about doing that, but I'm like, I know for some, they're like, ah. But seriously, this week, what I want to encourage you to do is try it. And maybe you can't kneel down, but what would it look like for you to maybe lean on something or, or to lean down or, or to just lower yourself before the one who's lifted up? Because the future church looks like the powerful bowing down to the most powerful. And you may be like, I'm not that powerful. I'm no angel, elder, <laughs> you know, like I'm no like creature, being, whatever. But here's the thing. We have the image of God within us. And we do have things that he's entrusted to us. We have resources. We have gifts. We have authority and influence on people. Are we willing to take our power and say, hey, I want to lay all that I have down at your feet so that you can lead me with a power that's more powerful than my own. See, when we do that, when we get low, it feels like a sign of weakness. And yes, we're recognizing who's greater. But actually, I would argue it's a sign of strength. Because when we submit ourselves, we're tapping into that which is stronger and more powerful than we are. The living God, the one who has conquered sin, death, and the grave, the one who goes before us. When we lay down at his feet, our person, our burdens, our cares, our concerns, our opportunities, our resources, when we do that, we're recognizing again him for who he is. And it is a sign of strength when the, the powerful recognize the one who's the most powerful and they willingly yield. They come under. So again, the future church looks like the powerful bowing down to the most powerful. And as we continue on, I want you to just think with me of this truth that we don't have to wait to worship Jesus. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to some future date to give him our attention and our affection. We can do that today. We can do that right now. We can do that in the ordinary mundane things like putting the dishes away. 
from the dishwasher, right? Like these tasks that you're like, okay, I got to do this. The laundry, you know, the errands you've got to run. You know, that Excel spreadsheet that you're dreading making, depending on who you're talking to or you're looking forward to making, uh, you know, whatever it is, we have an opportunity as we go and in the mundane ordinary to do that and to have intentional time where we're just declaring, hey, I see you for who you are. I'm laying my life at your feet. I'm laying all that I have at your feet. I'm recognizing you for who you are. Again, we don't have to wait to worship Jesus. As we continue on here, I thought it was really helpful for us to look at what they said. Because sometimes we're not sure even what to say when we get before him. So we're like, okay, like, if you're me, you're a verbal guy, you're like, oh, that's a little easier. (laughs) For some of us, we're like, man, I don't know, like, when I'm in that moment, what to say. And so I want to just give us this passage, what they said. Again, how to express that Jesus has our attention and affection. They say praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And these are descriptives. This is what he's worth. They're describing to him. They're, they're, they're calling to him who he is, that praise and glory. Like when we praise him, we recognize his character. We recognize who he is. We, we tell him, you're amazing. You're beautiful. You're breathtaking. You're caring. We, we tell him these things. Glory. We, we say, hey, I recognize that all that I have has been given to me by you. And I want to give you glory for that. I want to actually build your fame in your name, not my own. I want to join you in doing that. But they're declaring that. Wisdom. And wisdom comes from him. It says in Colossians that the fullness of wisdom are found in Christ. And wisdom gives us the ability to see life as it's intended to be lived and to have alignment for what God desires for us. And so you're recognizing the source of wisdom. Thanks. You know, what could you share with him that you're thankful for? Who are you thankful for? What are you thankful for what he's done in your life? You know, as I think back to that story about Emilio, I'm thankful that God saw fit to allow me not only to have a great identical twin brother and older brother, but he gave me this other brother in Emilio. That is such a gift. Like, I'm thankful for that. Are you, are you thankful for being able to be outside and enjoy the fall? You know, like I was at uh, Klein, Klein Farm uh, yesterday in Easton. So fun. We did our first Discover the Valley event. But man, so much to do there. So fun. And I'm reminded as I'm in another corn maze, by the way, I got out last week. I know I shared about another corn maze and that didn't go so well. This corn maze phase was easier. Thankfully, we had someone who already did it before us. So it was good. They had done it before and they went with us. Again, but again, are we thankful for those things? Are we honoring him? Are we honoring him? Are we giving him that priority that he deserves? Are we recognizing that power and strength belong to him and come from him? And so just to declare those things to him are so good. And again, those are just one way to do that. The Lord's Prayer is another great way to do it. You know, uh, being still and being quiet, depending on your tradition, that is a very uncommon uh, experience for many of us. But to put your phone away and to turn it off and just to be still before him and just say something like, hey, your servant's here and I'm listening. Hey, I'm listening, speak. And just be quiet. It's okay. Because the, the biggest part of this is, 
experiencing him and having more of him in our lives. We can get caught up in the mechanics, and I don't want to get caught up in the mechanics, but I do want to say rhythms are important. So what are those rhythms that allow you to do what it is we just see? We just saw here in this passage that we see them declaring again who this God is, who this Jesus is, what he's done. So the question is, will you bow down to Jesus now? Will you bow down to Jesus now? We all get a decision in this life, in this moment, to bow down. And to bow down isn't just our bodies, that's part of it, but to bow down our hearts, to kneel before him, to say, I see you as you are. You are my savior. I put my faith and my trust in you. But then the other side of that is, I bow down even as I'm a follower of you and I give you authority over my life. I believe that you know what's best for me and I want to follow your leadership. I'm willing to bow down. Every opportunity that's presented, I'm willing to surrender it. Every difficulty, I'm willing to surrender it. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to direct my steps. Again, we have a choice to bow down. He doesn't force us to bow down, but there will be a day where everyone will bow. The question is, will you wait till then or will you do it now? And I want to invite you to bow down now to put your faith and trust and follow after what, he, what it is that he has for your life. Well, it continues on here in Revelation 7. And it says this, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. Great response, by the way, right? I mean, I, just, I was like reading this and I'm like, Sir, you know. Every time, every time someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, you just say, ma'am, you know. Sir, you know. And they're like, no, actually, I don't know. Oh, okay, that only worked in Revelation 7. All right, and it goes on, it says, and he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And when we hear the great tribulation, again, I'm not going to get into, there's a variety of opinions of what this means. Okay, so I'm, I'm choosing not to do that because I want to lift up what it is he's actually saying, conveying here. And I think it's powerful, but he's saying, hey, there are those who have come through the great tribulation and they're, they're washed in the blood of the lamb. And you know, as we, we look at this, there's a future perspective of this, but I would say that there's a today perspective of this as well. And we're going to see this even more next week in Revelation 12, but one of the things that we're all going to experience in this life are trials, temptations, and tribulation. That's just the truth. We are. And yet, we have the ability to hold on to Jesus in the midst of it and to walk closely with him and to trust him with the things that we're experiencing. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult to hold on to Jesus when the cultural narrative makes following in the footsteps of Jesus seem so backwards and so hateful and so harmful. And I'm not talking about, again, you always hear me say this, I'm not talking about being a jerk, right? Like, you know, there's a whole other thing about that. I'm not talking about not being unkind, but I'm talking about even when you're being truthful and loving and full of grace and kindness, and you share the Jesus way and choose to live that way, there are going to be times in our culture moment that we live in, where people 
are going to come against you. I know even for me, there are people who've come against me, not because of just me. Because it's easy to be like, oh, it's just me. They don't like me. No, they, they don't like at times that I'm choosing the Jesus way. And he doesn't fit an ideology. He doesn't fit the right narrative or the left narrative. He's a whole nother way. And when he's another way and people pull away from you, it would be easy to be like, okay, I just need to assimilate to what the narrative is now. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I've told you in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome it. And I just don't want to minimize how hard that can be and difficult, but I want you to know there's one who goes with you. And that we, as a community, we go in it together. Again, we're not looking for a fight. I'm not the guy that's like, hey, yeah, I just hope I get persecuted. You know, like, please persecute me. I don't want to get into that rhetoric because I think this is another way. There's another way to lead in love. And yet, even when we lead in love, not everybody, not everybody's going to see it as love because we're redefining so many different things. And that's why we have to lift up Jesus as we're looking at this passage. That's why we've got to behold who he is and hold him out. All outcomes are up to him. All obedience is up to me. And so I'm choosing him. And it goes on to say this. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I just love this picture because there's a day that's coming when all this will be fully realized. It's yes and not yet, right? It's a yes promise, like yes, you meet us in these moments in a not yet. He said, they're before the throne and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne is sheltering them with his presence, with with his wings, right? The psalmist talks about sheltered in the wings of the Almighty, in the shadow of the Almighty. There's this shelter that they have found in him. And as they have found this shelter, he says that he's going to satisfy those hungers and those thirsts that they have and that the sun and again this is speaking to a tribulation that people were actually experiencing will not beat down on them nor the scorching heat for the lamb the lamb of god that was slain who takes away the sinner the the sins of the world is at the center of the throne and he will be their shepherd he's going to shepherd us through this and he's going to give us this living water that he talks about in john 4 and in john 7 Jesus says, I provide living water for you that is satisfying, that quenches those thirsts. And I wipe away, I'm going to wipe away those tears. I'm going to grieve with you. I'm going to weep with you. I can't tell you over the last week how many people I've heard that have passed away. There's so many, so many people who are passing away. And, and I'm reminded of a promise like this, that Jesus is the one who weeps with us, as John 11 says. And he promises that he's the, those who put their faith in him won't die, but will have life forever because he is the resurrection in the life. I think many of us, we have 
so many tears, and they may not be a physical death, but they may be a death of a relationship, a death of a dream, a death of, of a way in which we thought life would go, and it's not. And I want you to know there's one who calls you to himself and says, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you're burdened, I want to carry this with you, and I want to hold you and comfort you, and I want to weep with you. Your tears don't go unseen by God. He comes near. And some of you are like, I'm not the emotional person. (laughs) I may not be shedding actual tears, but there's this angst. There's this fatigue of the season. There's this longing. There's this anxiety right now. There's this anger that's coming. I want you to know there's one that we can hold on to that wants to meet us in those things. And so as we think about this, there's a couple things I want to give to you. First, that the future church looks like us serving and fully finding our shelter in Jesus. So the future church looks like us serving and and fully finding our shelter in Jesus. We're we're meant to find our, our safety in him even though the things at times he calls us to are not safe, right? <laughs> but he's meant to be the place where we find our security. So how has Jesus called you to serve him today? I want you to think about this with me for a moment, because I think oftentimes when we hear this, we may limit it to a Sunday morning gathering or, you know, the different ministries we have, and that's part of it, and I think that's really important. But I was recently talking to, to two guys at the event we were at yesterday at the farm, and I was just talking about their vocation, and, and I value people's vocations and what they do, and, and, you know, they were just talking to me about it and sharing with me about it, and I just asked them some questions, and, and maybe these questions would help you, but my first question to them was like, hey, what is it that you do that helps people to flourish? Like, what is it that helps, what is it that you do that helps people to flourish? You know, and I wanted them to think about it. You know, like, how is it that the work you do specifically helping flourishing, what is service or good does it provide? And it wasn't to minimize it. It was rather to help them to see bigger than, oh, you know what? It's just, it's only good work when it moves to a spiritual conversation. And I was like, well, that's part, I mean, amen when that happens. I mean, I'm, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I'm excited about that. But what we see through the, through Genesis account, and we see in this moment, they're serving, they're working with God. They're, they're doing these things with God as an act of worship. And so I was asking them, so how does your work help others to flourish? My second question is, what is it that God has put in you? And what do you desire to see accomplished with the work that you do? Like, what is it that he's put in you? What do you desire to see? What, what are you hopeful for? And then the third question is, how do you think this serves the greater good of the kingdom of God and his advancement and what he's trying to do, not only in you and the lives of others. And as we were talking about it, I think it was the first time that they had had someone really ask them those kinds of questions. And I wanted them to see, and I want you to see that your work is part of that, whether you're a student, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a work-at-home mom, whether you are in finance, whether you're a plumber, whether you're in IT, whether you work at a golf store, whether you're an engineer, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. All of it matters. And this is one of the ways that we serve God. We need to redeem. If we're going to live as a future church today and the coming tomorrows that are ours in Christ, we need to redeem back the vision of our vocations because they are holy endeavors that God has entrusted to each and every one of us. 
not just Pastor Jill at Riverbend Community Church. Every one of us. Every one of us. So how has Jesus called you, again, to serve him? And the second question is, will you allow Jesus to meet you with the shelter of his presence today? See, he wants to comfort you. And I, I really believe that so many of us, we do two, one of two things. Uh, we're the type of person that maybe wears our emotions on our sleeves. You know people like that? They, you can't, they, can't, they can't help but tell you. You just see it on their, their face. You're like, oh, man, you're mad. You're sad. You're happy. You know? And then there's the other kind of people where you're like, I was talking to someone recently. I'm like, I'm going to say something, and because your face is the same for both, like, so if you're, if you're happy or angry, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, I'm just going to say it, and if it's one of these, please let me know. Like, if you're upset, like, let's talk about it. And they, they laughed about it. It was in a premarital counseling thing I was doing. Um, but in the midst of it, we're, we're tempted to go either side of that. And really what we need to do is to bring our whole person before God, What's going on mentally, emotionally, physically? Maybe there's some physical hardships that you're having right now. Spiritually, like we need to bring our whole person to him and to receive from him what it is that he wants to give to us. Some of us, we're in the midst of heavy transition. Maybe we were new to the area and we moved right whilst COVID was happening or we thought COVID was fully done. And there's this like in-between thing that's going on. It's like, man, how do I integrate my life into this new space, in this new place. Maybe you started a new job. You know, there's all kinds of things. But instead of running from Jesus with those things, run to him with those things. You don't need to pretend. Because even if you wear your emotions on your sleeve, one of the things, because I'm like that a bit, uh, I'm a, a verbal processor, and I know one of the temptations for a guy like me is I can do a lot of talking, but sometimes I can talk to the wrong person about this thing. Or... Or if you're more introverted, you can hold on and just take it versus bringing it before him. And so what I want to encourage us to do is, hey, let's make sure we're sitting before our Heavenly Father. Let's receive the shelter that he wants to give to us. He wants to provide this fullness of joy for us. Again, so will you allow Jesus to meet you with the shelter of his presence today? And then the next part of this, when we serve Jesus and are sheltered in his presence we are fully satisfied. There's satisfaction that's talked about in this passage. And I want to just give you a couple of things that are mentioned in this passage alone. So as we go to this next part, see, when we serve Jesus and are sheltered in his presence, we are fully satisfied. Here's a couple of things this passage mentions. He quenches our thirst. He satisfies our hunger. He is the shade for our souls. He leads us to springs of living water. And he wipes away our tears. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. This is the one that we're holding on to. And I just love this because this is an invitation not just for our tomorrow, but for our today. 